Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are in our Oscar-worthy series, and I hope that you guys have been enjoying this as much as we have. It is good to see you. I hope you're all doing good. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a minute. But we're going to kind of be bouncing around a little bit as well, so we're going to be all over the place. If you're taking notes, you can kind of prepare yourself to write those down, mark those in there. But uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in just a moment. Um, if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking through Scripture and trying to identify various Oscar-worthy moments. Um, then we've been looking at those moments and trying to decide what makes them so special, um, what is God trying to say, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to our lives personally, and, and how does this change us? How does this make us more like Jesus? What can we do to apply these things to our lives? And, and we've covered the best original song a couple of weeks ago. Last week we looked at the best supporting role. And so today, in following this Oscar-worthy theme, we are going to look at the best original picture. The best original picture. That's kind of the big boy of the award show, if you know anything about the Oscar. So the best original picture. Picture. If you um, know anything about the Oscars or, or read the controversy that just happened a, a couple months ago in this latest Oscars, in this award, the best original picture, they actually announced the wrong movie. And so the wrong people came up, they were like accepting their award, and then they said, oh, never mind, we'll take that back and give it to the right person. Just incredibly awkward and strange, and it's so wonderful to watch people um, uh, on stage that are supposed to be really cool go through these awkward moments. Does anybody else enjoy that as much as I do? Just me. Well, I appreciate it, um, and I'm hoping I'm not setting myself up for a fall. Hopefully today goes well. We'll make sure next week is awkward. Amen? So come back next week. We'll make next week super awkward. Um, but, uh, but it's just kind of a, a fun deal. But this is the big boy, the best original picture. And so, <clears throat> like we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, we're going to start by having a little bit of fun. Um, I, got, I got a question for you. I, uh, uh, we struggled with this a little bit last week. The early service was the worst, and they've already been yelled at today, so just, uh, just so you know. Um, but uh, we were kind of doing our interaction thing last week, and um, it, I wasn't quite getting the responses that I was hoping for, so I thought I would bribe you a little bit today. Um, so I have two, two gift cards today, two $20 gift cards from Cherry Berry um, to entice you to respond today to my questions. Fair enough? Got some head nods. Good. It's going to have to, maybe if I up it to 50, we'll get some like, yes, crit pastor. So um, I got a question, and it has two answers, and so uh, the first person that I hear answer the question correctly, we're going to give a $20 Cherry Berry gift card to. And so a couple rules here. Wait till the, you got to wait till the whole question is answered because I can't talk and listen at the same time. And also, if you were here in the first service, okay, it's going to be the same question, so don't be a jerk and ruin the game, okay? That's just, that's how it goes. Okay, so here's the question. It's going to kind of revolve around the Oscar theme here in so here it is. Only twice in Oscar's history has a sequel won the award for best original picture. Name one of those. Ben-Hur, Lord of the Rings is close. Star Wars, no. What? Hunger Games, Star Wars, no. I can't hear it. You got to be louder. 
Godfather 2, I heard, I heard right here, Godfather, Godfather Part 2. Now, um, the person in the first service who won that, I reprimanded him for watching a terrible movie and being a sinner. But I don't know you, so I won't, I won't say that to you. <clears throat> um, but we will have a time at the end of service to repent, just, just so you know. I've not seen the movie. And what's the other one? It was The Godfather Part 2. The other one, somebody said Lord of the Rings. That's not, I mean, that's not a movie. The Lord of the Rings isn't a movie, but you're close there. So that's a little hint for you. Somebody else. The, the Return of the King. It was The Return of the King. You, I'm going to make you come up here and get this. Come on, come on. Make your way on up. It was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Let's give her a hand as she makes her way down here. Right on. Two times, two times in Oscars history has a sequel won the award for best original picture. The Godfather Part Two and the final installment of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King. Now, I, like I haven't seen the Godfather movies, but uh, I, I have watched the, the Lord of the Rings and um, I really enjoyed them. I know that they have like wizards and magic and stuff in them, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I guess the Christian community got together and we voted and we said Lord of the Rings is okay, Harry Potter is not, but Lord of the Rings is okay. I don't always know how that works, but, but that's just kind of how it was going. That was a, a, I was trying to be funny and a joke. <laughs> there we go, thank you. Um, but I have seen the Lord of the Rings, in, and I remember when it came out, the very first one, the Fellowship of the Rings, I was telling my dad, it's so good, and you need to watch it. And he's like, nah, I'm not interested. And, and I said, come on, it's so good. And, and he watched it, and I had this conversation with him. I said, Dad, what would you think? Wasn't it so good? It was so good, wasn't it? And he said, no, not really. And I said, not really? Like, like I was, his personal preference of movies offended me, right? Because he didn't like it. I was personally offended by, by this. I was way ahead of the cultural curve in that, being offended, you know, by those things. And so I was like, what do you mean you didn't like it? Like, what is your problem? And, you know, maybe, maybe this is going to be the end of father and son relationship here. Like, what is your deal? And I, so I was pressing him, like, why didn't you like it? Like, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, he said, the movie just stopped. He said they were, you know, they were trying to go destroy the ring, and, and then it was just over. It was like the, the movie wasn't over, and then the credits started rolling. I mean, the, the two were walking down the hill with the ring, and, and these other two had been kidnapped, and, and the heroes were trying to, to go rescue them, and then, and then all of a sudden the music played and the, the credits, and I was like, well, it's just, it's over. And, um, and it, just, it just stopped, and, and I told him, I said, Dad, it's a trilogy. Like, it's the first movie in three. Of course it's just over. Like, I mean, there's, there's two more movies to resolve it. This is just the first one. And, um, and I realized that Dad was upset at the movie because at the end of the first one, almost none of the tension had been resolved. The story isn't over. And as I consider where we are in human history, in, in mankind, if, if we were a movie... If, if right now we were like in the midst of a movie, we would be in between the first and second installment of a trilogy. Okay, because, because in this, there are still battles to be had. Amen? Are you going through battles, some of you today? Amen? There are still battles to be had. There is still an enemy to be defeated. There is still tension that we live in. There is still tension to be resolved. Not everything is perfect. The, the end final credits haven't begun to roll. The story 
isn't over. And, and yes, listen, yes, we are absolutely certain who the king is. Amen? We are absolutely certain who the king is. And yes, we are confident that Jesus is on the throne and he will remain there. Amen? We need to make sure that we are in agreement with some of this stuff because this is where our hope is. This is where our future lies. This is, by definition, who we are, followers of Jesus Christ. And we are fully confident that Jesus opened the door, opened the way for us to be um, fully uh, redeemed as people, becoming believers, and he did this on the cross. And so when Jesus was on the cross and before he died, he said, I've done everything I needed to do. It is finished. And then he says, the scripture says, he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. And then he died. What he was saying was, everything that I came to do to rescue mankind has been completed. The story of redemption is finalized, but it hasn't been completed. Okay? So though he says it is finished on the cross, we now have complete full access to Jesus and relationship with him, the reality remains that there is a whole lot of sin. Yes? That in this world, there's a whole lot of pain. That in this world, there's a whole lot of suffering. There's a whole lot of bad. There's a whole lot of evil. That in this world, as believers and even non-believers, there is a whole lot of tension that hasn't been fully resolved. We, we, we know who is going to resolve it. We know how it's going to end, but it's not been fully resolved. The story isn't over. Amen? And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to hand out our Oscar based not on a performance, but a preview. We're not going to hand out the best original picture based on something that we know and have seen and experienced, but something that's coming, just a preview. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. Now, we got to be careful here, because whenever we talk about something prophetic, something that is, is coming in the future, something that uh, one of the prophets said, hey, this is to come. They're, they're perceiving by the Spirit of God into the future and saying, this is not yet, but it is coming. We have to be really, really careful with how we're handling this. And so we, 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 we want to handle this with humility and with a certain level of intelligence, but we, we really just want to make general observations because um, we don't know all of the specific details. We don't know exactly how this is going to play out. And, and, and we don't want to mess this up because we end up looking silly and I think it damages the kingdom of God. Like in um, 1988, some of you will remember, there was a book in 1988 titled 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. How many of you remember that book, right? Some of you, like three of you, great. But, but like for me, like man, 1988 was the year that I was all in for Jesus. Come on, somebody. Like if there's 88 reasons he's coming back in 88, then I'm not going to mess around in 1988. And Jesus didn't come back in 1988, so, so they went back and they're like, oh man, we missed it. In 89, there was a book. Can you guess what the title is? 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. And then, you know, it just got silly after that. So, so we don't want to make any of these specific, like, claims. We just want to operate in, in trying to talk about these general observations. And, and, and really what this is, it's, it's the difference between watching a movie trailer and watching the movie 
itself. Because in the movie, you get all of the specifics. You, you, you know all of the ins and the outs. You understand how everything plays out. But the trailer, the movie preview, just gives you enough to discuss the general direction and make some sort of speculation on what that's going to look like. And so what we're going to do, we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning discussing what we know about... Um, these prophetic second coming things based on the preview, the biblical trailer that we have access to. And we're not going to talk specifics because we don't have all of the specifics. We're just going to make comments based on the preview and the trailer. Is that fair enough? Fair enough. So I'm not going to have all the answers. We're just going to talk about some of this general direction. So so I'm going to have two points for you this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first point is this. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 gives us one of the clearest statements, the clearest pictures defining our understanding of the rapture. Now the word rapture isn't actually used in scripture, but it's a, it's a term that is used to describe kind of what um, Paul is talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The rapture is the belief, the teaching that There will be a moment where Jesus comes back and he removes all of the believers from the earth. That that he raptures or or he, he takes every single Christian and instantly transports them from earth into heaven. Scripture tells us that this will happen in a fraction of a second. It'll happen in a twinkling of an eye. And um, we used to talk about this a lot um, back in the day, but we don't talk about it so much anymore. Um, and, And if this is your first time hearing this, like, you're telling me that there's going to be a moment where Jesus comes back and, and like, like this, this great magic trick um, and millions of Christians are just going to disappear off the face of the earth. You're telling me, Pastor Chris, you believe this. And, and I would say like with all humility and, and fully understanding that it sounds absolutely crazy, yes, I believe it. Okay, I just, I just do. Uh, scripture, scripture speaks it and, and I believe what Scripture says. And, and, and I know how it sounds, but, but I want you to see what Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. And what Paul is doing, he's talking to the church in Thessalonica, and he's saying, look, like I know we're looking for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the, the institution of the kingdom, and, and, and we're, we're waiting for this day where Jesus fully resolves and, and, and removes all of this tension, and we live in perfect harmony and stuff like that. But, but I know some of you are concerned because there are some believers, people who followed God and, and, and committed their heart to Christ, who have died, and, and, and some of you are like worried, like, what happens to them? Are they just gone? And, um, and Paul is saying, like, like we're going to be clear on this. I want you to know, like, like, what is going to happen to you, but also what is going to happen to some of those believers who died before you, because um, I don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope. And this is what he says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised again to life, and I, I want to stop right there for just a second, because I know how sometimes how crazy sometimes it sounds when we say, yeah, we believe that there's going to be a moment, like all the believers are going to disappear off the face of the earth, and they're going to be um, raptured into the sky with Jesus forever, forever and ever. I get how difficult that is to understand, but if we believe 
that Jesus died and was dead, not just injured, but dead in the ground for three days. And then after three days, he rose completely whole, victorious from the grave. Then it isn't hard for me to believe that that God can do anything he wants. If he, if he defeated death, like none of this other stuff is, is very hard for him. You know, I, I believe like the scriptures in the Old Testament where, where um, the sun stood still in the sky for, for, you know, a long time. Like the earth stopped spinning on its axis so the Israelites could fight a battle with the sun in the air. Like if, if God can do that, then, then, I mean, he can instantly, you know, remove the Christians from the earth. And, and it's not hard to believe. If I believe that, this is easy for me to believe. And so... It says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, if you have a pen or a highlighter, and you got your Bible, I want you to circle those three words. When Jesus returns. Highlight it, star it, put a smiley face by it, do whatever you want to in your Bible, but highlight those three words. When Jesus returns. Because it's not a question of if he returns, but when he returns. The question isn't will he come back? The question is when will he come back? For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised again to life, we also believe that when he returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So all those people who have gone before us, who are believers, like when Jesus returns, they're all going to be a part too. Verse 15, we will tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So, so everybody's going to be sort of brought in this together. And, and their, their spirits will be reunited with the body. We don't have time to go into all that. Verse 16, for the Lord himself, <clears throat> scripture says, will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will raise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive, everybody say still alive. It's important for us to know this. This is people who are still living and breathing and walking on this earth. We who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Yeah, amen. <clears throat> amen. So, so Paul is saying... Like there's going to be this moment, you're not going to be dead, and you won't be dead yet, and, and, uh, and the Lord is going to come with a, a loud shout and the trumpet call of God and the voice of the archangel, and in that moment we will be instantly transported from earth into heaven, reunited with all of our loved ones who are believers that have gone before us, and there we will be in the air, in heaven, with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and that will be the moment for believers that all of our tension has been automatically resolved. It's just over for, and we just, it's, it's perfect. It's everything that we've dreamed of in that moment. Verse 18 says, so encourage each other with these words. And I'll say this. This moment is coming, and there is nothing on earth that has to happen before this can take place. There's, there's, there's nothing that has to precede this. There is no countdown to this moment. To answer this question, when will this happen, Paul says to that same church a few verses later, no one knows when this is going to happen. No one can predict it. It will happen suddenly. It will happen unexpectedly. So stay alert. Be ready. Stay clear-headed because Jesus is coming back. And then all through the New Testament and scriptures, Christians are told over and over again to be watchful for the Lord's appearing. Pay attention. Watch because Christ is coming back. Stay awake. He's coming back. 
we, we aren't, we're, we're told about the great tribulation, but we aren't told to watch for the great tribulation. We're told to watch for the Lord's return. We're, we're, we're told about this, this, this Antichrist, but we're not told to watch for the Antichrist. We're told to watch for the Lord's return. Does this make sense? I want to read verse 18 again because I believe this is so important. It says, so encourage each other with these words. <clears throat> now, I want to change, like, direction of the audience here this morning. Um, I want to talk to some of you who have grown up in the church your whole life. You, you've been through all the, the services and all the Sunday schools and everything like that. And, and you've heard a lot about the rapture and, and this teaching and stuff like that. Uh, you, you, you are the people that I want to talk. So, so how many of you... If that's you, raise your hand. If you like, grew up in the church, this is you, like, like you're all in with this, you know you've heard this a hundred times before. Um, <clears throat> so I want to ask you a question. How many of you, when, when you were, were growing up in this, in the church, when you thought about the rapture or talked about the rapture, how many of you would say, look, honestly, I was less encouraged and more terrified about this idea? How many of, that, how many of that's true for you? Like, talking about the rapture, I was like scared to death. And some of you, okay, okay. Um, yeah, that, that, was, that was me too. I mean, we spent more time being afraid that we were going to miss the rapture than we did being encouraged by the thought of it. And if you were growing up in that situation in, in the church and kind of talking about the rapture a lot, thinking about it, then I know that you have an, uh-oh, I missed the rapture story or experience. Because we all did. <clears throat> we all did. I mean, there would be times I'd come home and um, my parents weren't there. None of my brothers and sisters were there. They were supposed to be there. And I was scared to death. I'd missed the rapture. And God took all the believers up to heaven. And I missed it. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> right? You'd go to a party on the weekends. And, you know, as a believer, you're like, you know, I, I'm not doing all that stuff. But I want to be around my friends. And so there's, like, little compromises that you go. And, and like, the voice of the Holy Spirit is telling you, this isn't where you ought to be. This isn't the place for a believer and stuff like that. You're like, I know, but I'm not doing anything, so it's cool. Um, you know, arguing with God. And then you go home, and the TV's on, and your parents aren't anywhere to be found. You're like, oh, dear God, you came when I was at the party. So you call your grandpa up and be like, man, I hope he answers. <laughs> grandpa, are you saved? Were you just sinning? Because I kind of was. I need to know. Like, did we miss it? And so, so a, a lot of us ha had this, this uh oh, I missed the rapture moment. That I, I missed the rapture fear. I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. Oh, no, I missed it. Um, when, you're, when you're married, there will eventually come a point, if you're like the husband, where your wife will leave for whatever reason. And not like leave you, but leave. She'll go out of town. She'll go visit her parents, you know, be gone on business for a couple, two or three days, a week, a month, I don't know what it is, and she'll go see family or friends, and, and when she leaves, she will leave you with uh, a list of detailed instructions on things that she needs you to do while she's gone, and a list of expectations on what the house should look like upon her return. Anybody know what I'm talking about with this? Okay. Okay, and so you're like, yes, sweetheart, go. Don't worry about us. We're going to be fine. We got peanut butter and jelly and cereal, so we're set. I mean, you just go and relax. Don't worry about that. And so this happens for a lot of us. And then as the time of her return gets closer and closer, a husband will usually respond one of two ways. One, it'll be with joyful anticipation. I can't wait to hold again in my arms the one I love. Oh, baby, I can't wait for you to get back. All that stuff. Or two, he will respond by looking around and taking stock of the situation he's in. 
And he will say, "Uh uh-oh. I didn't do any of the things that I told her I was going to do. And on top of that, the house looks like a tornado swept through this place. I am going to be in trouble because she's coming back. And I'm not ready. And, And her return is this, oh, no, instead of, and, and, and then he yells at the kids and he says, we're not ready. Your mom is coming home. And then we have to, have to hurry up and get ready. For as long as I can remember, the thought of Jesus coming back was a little bit of a scary thing. And, and, and as long as I can remember, in church, the phrase Jesus is coming back was always followed by, so you had better fill in the blank, whatever it was. Jesus is coming back, so you had better Stop watching The Simpsons. Whatever it was, you know what I mean? Jesus is coming back, so you better tell people about him. Jesus is coming back, so you better not whatever. Jesus is coming back, so you gotta stop this. Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, so you had better, you know, be ready. Whatever it was, it was always sort of that warning. Jesus is coming back, so you better stop. You better not. All those things. We've always kind of packaged the return of Christ as a sin deterrent. Which it is. But listen, it's so much more than that. It is so much more than a sin deterrent. If you have little ones and you've ever left your kid in the nursery for the first time, or maybe um, you know, you're, you're leaving your preschooler with a, a babysitter for the first time, and you're going out, and as you're getting ready to leave, like your child just is brokenhearted and they're crying and they're freaking out. And they're like, why are you abandoning me? Why are you leaving? They're just, they don't understand how you could be so cold-hearted to leave them with this person that is not you. And, um, and the, the nursery worker or the babysitter, they will scoop the child up and they will whisper these words these are the same words that every babysitter, every nursery worker has whispered over and over again. And this is the words of comfort to that child. Shh, she's coming back. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, shh, he's coming back. He's coming back. And when the nursery worker or the, the, um, the babysitter whispers those words to the child, that's not, so you better knock it off. So you better be good because they're coming back. And when they come back and they see you acting like this, they're going to get you. It's, that's not the way it's, it's said. It's, shh, they're coming back. They're not going to be gone forever. They're coming back. So, so just hang tight for a little bit because they're coming back. Because they love you and they would never abandon you. And they would never leave you. And, and, and you're just their joy. And so, shh, they're coming back. In Acts chapter 1, we see this story. Jesus had just... He, you know, he'd risen from the dead several days ago, um, a couple of months ago, and, and he's, he's you know, spending a few months with the people before he ascends to heaven, and he's there on, on the hillside, and, and Scripture tells us that as he's talking to the people, he's telling them, go to Jerusalem and wait, because I'm going to blow your world with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you're going to change the world, it's going to be awesome, and, um, and I'm going to give you this amazing gift, and, and as he's saying this, um, Scripture tells us that he ascends to heaven, like he, he begins to very literally, he floats up to heaven and he ascends through the clouds. He like flies away. And, um, and all the people are left standing there just totally freaking out. Again, you look at that and you're like, man, that's weird. I, I, I don't believe that. Again, look, if he defeated death, I mean, gravity is no big deal for him. Amen? 
And so, and so that's, that's what happens, and that's what I believe. And Jesus floated to heaven. And, and as he's floating to heaven, you got a bunch of people there standing on the hillside looking up, freaking out. Like, where are you going? Like, you're leaving us. Come back. Like, I can't. You're going somewhere that I can't go. And, and Scripture says they're all just left looking like, you know, uh-oh, this guy who we thought was going to be an earthly king, you know, died. And then we're like, oh, he, I guess he's not. And now he rose again. They're like, okay, maybe he is. And, and now nothing can be, defeat him because not even death can defeat him. And, and now we're here. We're going to get set up. And, and all this stuff is going on. But now you're leaving us. And what are you doing, Jesus? And Scripture tells us that as they were looking up into heaven, um, two angels show up. Acts chapter 1, verse 11 says this. The angels show up and they say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into the heavens? <laughs> Why do you think? Because this Jesus just flew up there. I mean, he just, well, what do you mean, why are we standing up there looking into the heavens? And then he says this, the, the angel says this, Jesus has been taken from you into the heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is what the angels say. Shh, he's coming back. He's coming back. I mean, you, you saw him go, he's coming back. He's coming back from the heavens. It's not, so you better, and so you better knock it off. You better get, he's, shh, he's coming back. And these are words of comfort. And so scripture says, encourage each other in these words. Encourage each other in these words. I want to read you verse 18. So it talks about us being raptured and going into uh, the presence of the Lord forever. Verse 18 says, so encourage each other in these words. Words. This isn't something to be scared about. It's not terrifying. It's exciting. It's encouraging because we get the promise that he's coming back. So number one, Jesus is coming back. Number two, second point, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus is coming again. You're thinking, what? Number one, Jesus is coming back. Number two, Jesus is coming again. I believe this. Through, through what I understand of scripture, plays out a little bit like a trilogy. It's a three-part installment. Jesus came as a baby, born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect, sinless life, sacrificially allowed himself to be murdered on the cross so that we could have access to the kingdom of God through salvation. He ascended to heaven. Jesus comes back the first time in, in the rapture, in the trumpet call of God. He, he, he brings all of the believers up to heaven to live with him, and then he comes Again, Jesus comes again. When he comes back the first time, the, the believers are the only one who sees him because it happens in a moment. And, and it'll be a little bit of a mystery on the earth, but it happens in a moment. And, and the only people that see him because it happens so fast are the believers that are gathered into the air, as First Thessalonians tells us. But when Jesus comes again, part three, when he comes again, there's this, this moment and it, that it seems that in this there is some theological debate, and that's okay because we're, we're basing our comments on a preview and not something that has actually happened yet. And there's, it's okay to debate, and there's room for that. Um, you have, between parts two and three, this season that the Bible calls the, the period of the tribulation. And it's this, what it is, it's, it's really the scary parts of the book of Revelation. It's... It's the judgments and the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and Armageddon and all that stuff. It's that stuff that, that most people are like really interested in talking about, but, but at the same time like really scared to hear about it, right? It's like your kids when they, they say, hey, tell me a scary story. So you're like, one night. And they're like, never mind, I don't want to hear it. And that's kind of what this, 
That's kind of what Revelations is like. Tell me about it. Nope, 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 nope. I'm not doing that. I don't want to hear about it. And so that's kind of this, this, this part. This is this time between um, uh, parts two and three. Um, this is the time that, that if the book of Revelation is a prophecy that is pointing to a future event, and not everybody believes that, but I do, um, if it's a prophecy that's pointing to a future event, and if the book of Revelation plays out in a literal way, and it's not like allegory or anything like that, which I believe it will, then when Jesus comes again, the third time, there is a definitive timeline that scripture lays out. There's an order that scripture lays out. There, there's a, a years and months that, that will play out before Jesus comes again. There's a clock. There's a countdown. When Jesus comes again, part three, there will be no surprises. It will take nobody off guard. In fact, the only surprise that we see in the book of Revelation is that the enemy of God still continue in their open and defiant rebellion and warring against God. That's the only thing that is surprising in the book of Revelation. And when Jesus comes back, only the believers will see him. But when Jesus comes again, Scripture says the entire world will see him. Every eyeball on planet Earth will see him. And I don't know if it's this divine, like, cosmic mystery thing or if it's, um, you know, Facebook Live. I don't know, but everybody will see this. And it will be wonderful and it will be terrifying depending on which side of the fence you're sitting on. And the book of Revelation gives us the context for his return. And, and here it is. It says, all of the armies of the world are gathered together in one place. And so this will, this will literally be a world war. It, it, the, the context of Jesus' return is, is a massive world battle. Revelation 16, verse 16 says, And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies into a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. So this is a world war. The armies of the world are gathered together for one purpose. And the purpose is to once and for all destroy the people of God and the nation of Israel. That's what scripture tells us they are gathered there to do. So you have all of the armies of the world gathered there and their purpose is to, they are unified all the nations are unified in their effort to destroy all the believers, all the Christians that are on the earth and the people of God and, and the nation of Israel. And you would say, well, I thought all the believers were going to be gone. Yeah, they are. But after all the believers are gone, God is going to pour his spirit out on the nation of Israel. And there's going to be a revival in the nation of Israel like the world has never seen. And in mass, the people of God in Israel are going to come into personal saving relationship with King Jesus. And we're going to see this play out in just a massive scale. I've said this before. If you're having a hard time buying all of this and believing this, I, just look at the way Israel has been treated and is treated. And I believe that one of the best and clearest proofs that the Bible is true is that the nation of Israel is in existence today. Think about this. In, in all through Scripture, it has been Israel, 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 Israel. And there has never been another nation that has existed and then been dissolved like Israel was. It, was. it was made no more. It was dissolved. There was no nation of Israel. And then came back together as a nation. The only nation that's ever happened to is Israel, the people of God. 
And it fulfills Old Testament prophecy that says the people of God will be scattered throughout the world. And then he will call them back. And a nation that didn't exist will become a nation in one day. And that happened in 1948. We see it over and over and over and over again. And I believe that the nation of Israel is proof that God is who he says he is. And this is going to play out exactly like God is going to, exactly like God says it's going to play out. And it's in that moment where all of the nations of the world are gathered together to um, destroy the nation of Israel and destroy the people of God. It's in that moment that Jesus comes again. And this is how John describes this vision, how he sees this playing out. God gave him this prophetic future vision. And this is, this is what John sees in this moment. Everybody's gathered together, getting ready to destroy Israel. This is this, verse, chapter 19, verse 11 of Revelation. He says, then I saw heaven opened and the white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Think about this. The last time we saw Jesus, he was on a donkey, right? He was humble. He was kind of lowly on a donkey. This time he's traded in his donkey for a white battle stallion. There's a difference, yes? Keeps going, verse 12. His eyes were like flames of fire. It's this, this idea that when he looks at you, there is nowhere to hide because there's an all-knowing, omnipotent, all-praiseworthy God that is staring right into your heart, staring right into your thoughts, staring right into your soul. And every thought, every intention, every motive will be instantly exposed. And there's nowhere to hide. He knows everything and he judges fairly. And he, rages a, a, he wages a righteous war. And on his head were many crowns. He, he, he's no longer wearing a crown of thorns, amen? He is wearing a king's crown. And it's not just a crown that says, hey, I'm king of Israel. I'm king of the Jews. He is wearing the crown that, that overrules and oversees every single crown. It says he's wearing many crowns. It would be like if you take every crown of every nation that ever existed on the world and all of those were on top of Jesus's head with his crown. Every, every ruler, every king, every kingdom has to submit to his authority because he wears the many crowns crown. All the kingdoms, all the dominions, are under his rule and authority. Scripture says a name written on him that no one can understand except himself. And that's a mystery. People try to explain that. But, but I don't know what that is. There's speculation all over the place. Verse 13, it says, He wore a robe dipped in blood. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Now, perhaps this is the blood or his blood reminding the saints of his sacrifice on the cross and the power of his blood, and, and, and maybe it's his blood that, that, that his robe has dipped in to, to remind the believers that, that there would be no salvation without his shed blood. Maybe it's his blood, or maybe it's the blood of sinners offering a warning that judgment is coming. I don't know. We, we don't know. We can, we can guess. We can make speculation, but we don't know. Either way, what I do know is that when a king rides into battle with a pre-bloodied robe on, when the king comes to battle and his war paint is blood, whether it's his or, or, or the sinner's, I, the only thing that I know is that's the guy that you don't want to be on the wrong side of. Amen? Right? It's like, I need to make sure that I'm over here with you, you know? I mean, that's, that's intense. Like, this is about to get really real, and his title was the word of God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Again, 
Let me make a thought. Let, let me give you a thought here. And because we're, we're operating on a preview, right, a trailer here, we don't know all of the details, but it seems as though the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen are not the angels of heaven's armies, but the believers who have died before and who have been raptured up into heaven. That means, listen, listen to how cool this is. That means that it's very possible that this could be you and me riding from heaven down into the battle of Armageddon. And I know I've lost a bunch of you because you're like, oh my goodness, this dude is crazy. But this is what the Bible is saying, right? That we get to ride into the battle of Armageddon following Jesus, King Jesus, on these white horses. And, and, and again, you know, it's, it's the preview. This is prophecy. Like, we're trying to get this right. We're doing our best. But if this is true, which I believe it is, come on, somebody, how awesome is that, right? Like, whoo, like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm not even good at horses, but I, mount up, right? Let's go. And it doesn't really matter because none of us are going to fight in that battle anyway. We just have really cool front row seats to the Battle of Armageddon is all that amounts to. Because Jesus has not ever once needed our help in accomplishing his will. Not once. He can do it without us. He doesn't need us. And at the beginning of the world as we know it, in creation, and at the end of the world as we know it, before he establishes a new heaven and a new earth, this will be on full display. That it's Christ alone in the beginning and Christ alone at the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And he invites us to be a part of his kingdom. How lucky are we? I mean, how lucky are we? Verse 15, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. In the garden of, in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, he, he tells Peter, put your sword away. But now he begins to speak, and the words of his mouth have more power and can, can, can cause more damage than any human weapon ever devised. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press on his robe. At his thigh was written his title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Verse 19, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures, flying high in the sky. So an angel comes in, standing in the sun. He commands the vultures, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. This part of my Bible, I write the word yikes. This is intense. Intense. And in that moment, listen, the opportunity to decide whose side you will be on will be over. When Jesus comes again, it will be to judge sin. And he will judge sin. He judges fairly. He judges rightly. And he judges aggressively. Some of you are here this morning, and the reason you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus is because you think, Christians are weird and Jesus is weak and, and you see him in your mind as somebody you could beat up, right? Like you think, you know, if we got to do a scrap, me and Jesus, I could take him. Right? Then you don't fully understand the Revelation 19 Jesus who's coming again. I was <clears throat> brushing my, my little girl's teeth the other day, having a conversation. And every time I brush her teeth, she thinks it's a good time to talk to me with her mouth open and her teeth full of toothpaste, spitting toothpaste all over me. Open your mouth and I'm brushing her and she says, she goes, die, I said, stop. You know, and I had a, she, what she's saying is, who is that? And, and on my shirt, I, I had a 
it was just a t-shirt and it had like a, a bad guy on it, a villain in the superhero world. And I said, oh, that's the Green Goblin. And she said, he's got big muscles. And I said, yeah, he does. And, and, and she said, um, can I hire him? And I said, honey, stop talking. Can I hire him? And I said, stop, ask me after. And so after we we're brushing her teeth, she said, can you take him? I said, oh, I don't know, honey. He's probably a little bit stronger than I am. And I'm and having this conversation with her like he's a real person. Like if me and, you know, the Green Goblin fought, you know, I'd have a chance. And, um, and so she says, daddy, let me see your muscles. And so I flex for her. And it's always great to flex for your little daughters because they think you're super strong, like the strongest in the world. And she says, wow, daddy, your muscles are big. And so I'm calling Melissa over. And I'm saying, hey, do you see what she's saying? Like, what do you think? You know? <clears throat> and then after she feels my muscles, she says, daddy, you could take him. You know, you're right. Daddy could take you, right? And you know what, what's funny is that bad guys aren't so scary if you can beat them up. You know what I mean? Nobody's afraid of a bad guy that you could take. But on the flip side, nobody wants to serve a God that you're stronger than either. You know what I mean? And when we view Jesus as weak and passive and, 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 and unable to defend and, and, and not able to fight, and, and we view Jesus as somebody that we think we could take, then nobody wants to serve that kind of God. I don't want to serve a God that I can take. I don't want to serve a God that I'm stronger than. I don't want to serve a God that I'm, I can beat up. My friend, listen, Christians may be weird, I'll give you that, but Jesus is far from weak. Jesus is far from weak. Some of you are here and you're believers, but you're constantly discouraged, you're beat down, you're defeated, you're depressed, you're frustrated, you're fighting this all the time because you feel like, man, life is a losing battle, it's a no-win situation. I wanna say something to you this morning. Pick your head up. Pick your head up. Stop all of this victim mentality and this victim nonsense because you have a mighty king. You serve King Jesus, and not only is he coming back, but he's coming again, and he reigns victorious, and he invites us to be a part of his kingdom, his family, his team, on his army. And so you have every reason to be optimistic. You have every reason to be encouraged, because there is nothing that this world has to offer that can defeat you when you are on the side of King Jesus. Nothing. You have no reason to be discouraged. Scripture says he's coming back. Encourage each other with these words. This is why the Oscar for best original picture goes to the second coming. And it hasn't even happened yet. It's based on a preview alone. Stand your feet all across this place. We're getting ready to close. And I would say this is all well and good. And it's easy to get excited. And it's fun to talk about Jesus coming back and reigning victoriously. And I get all of that. But let me tell you why this matters to you today. It matters because scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under, and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We just sang about this a moment ago. Every knee will bow. Every single knee will bow. This matters today because if you don't bow your knee in worship today, you will bow your knee in painful submission tomorrow. It matters. So I would ask you this morning this simple question. What in your life is keeping you from bowing your knee today? What in your life is keeping you from bowing? Is it money that's keeping you from bowing? Is it your career that's keeping you from bowing? 
Is it fear of what other people are gonna say that keep you from bowing? Is it your comfort that's keeping you from bowing because it's easier and it's better to be your own God and your own savior? Is it selfishness that's keeping you from bowing? Is it, is it busyness? Is it hobbies? Is it lust for sex that's keeping you from bowing? What is it? Because if there is something in your life that is keeping you from fully bowing to King Jesus today, you need to repent of it. You need to deal with it. You need to get rid of it. Because whatever it is that's keeping you from bowing today is not strong enough to save you tomorrow. It's not. It won't. Every tongue will declare that Jesus is Lord. I believe that even the demons will be forced to declare that Jesus is Lord. But here's the difference. Though they say, yes, he's the king, yes, he is Lord. We have the opportunity today to say, he is my Lord. He is my king. He is my savior. He is my hero. And I joyfully and gladly and willingly bow my knees to, to him. I surrender my life to him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I want to close with this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says this, when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. For this time it will, for this time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realize it or not. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.